Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for Scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's Word and apply His message to your everyday life. Visit SeekingTruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today, it's part two of the Gospel of John, chapter 13. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. There is something called a mystical marriage, and it consists of a vision in which Christ, the bridegroom, tells a soul that he takes it for his own bride, presents it with a customary ring, and there's a a vision that's accompanied by a wedding ceremony. The Blessed Virgin and many saints and angels can be present. Seventy-seven documented saints had this. And I'm just going to talk about Catherine of Siena because I fell in love with her studying all 77 of these and I narrowed it down to her. She's only one of four female doctors of the church, of the 36 doctorates. She's one of them. So she's, she's very sound is what I'm saying. She's the youngest of 25 children. Her parents had 25 kids. She's number 25. And at age seven, she consecrated, vowed her perpetual virginity to Jesus. She loved him right off the bat. And she was doing that, her first vision, uh, her father opened the door and saw a dove over her head. And she had consecrated herself to him at age seven. Her mother did not like this. She, she, she would levitate. Catherine of Siena would levitate. And her mother would say, get down. This is childish fanaticism. You know? And she would try to put an end to it. And Catherine chopped her hair off. She had beautiful long hair, and they had some means. She had beautiful clothes. She, she went into simple clothing and chopped her hair all off because she wanted Jesus to be her groom, and she didn't want to be attractive to anyone else and be swept up by another lover because she wanted Jesus. One time on Christmas Eve, she had a vision where Mary put baby Jesus right into her arms and blessed her as a spiritual mother and teacher, which she became both. To many popes sought her counsel. The mystical marriage, this is a spiritual marriage between her and Jesus. It is documented. Many paintings show her marrying. The first one was she was married to baby Jesus. And I kept seeing all these paintings of her marrying baby Jesus. And I thought, that's a little, he's a little young for her, you know. And so in researching some more, I'm thinking, why is she marrying baby Jesus? Now remember, these mystical marriages always stay in union with the cross. And they have to have a ring on their finger from Jesus. And where was his very, 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 very first blood shed for our redemption? Where's the very first drop of Jesus' blood? The very first drop of blood he shed was on day eight of his life when he was circumcised into the Jewish covenant. And in that, his blood is so powerful for our atonement. She was married to him, to this baby. For 392 years, the church celebrated January 1, day 8, as the circumcision of Jesus. Now we call it the Solemnity of Mary. It was the circumcision day of Jesus. And the paintings at the medieval time were showing the circumcision of Jesus. And actually, in her vision, Catherine herself wrote that Jesus Christ gave her his circumcised foreskin as her first wedding ring. And she put it on her finger. And she tells about it in one of her letters. And please don't think that's weird. Because, because she's entering into his passion already as a baby. That was the ring he gave her. What a precious, 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 precious gift. And of course, in her writings, that went you know, viral. Today, that would be. But so she just started saying that her own wedding ring was invisible. That was his very first blood shed. Then she had other visions when he was an older bridegroom. And he, one time he offered her like a crown, a beautiful jeweled crown or his crown of thorns. Which one did she take? Thorns, because she stays in communion with the cross always. She doesn't take the easy way. I'll stay with you on the cross. 
So she was always joined to his mystical marriage. One time she had a vision and, and there was a whole, Mary gave her hand of her son to her in marriage and the guests of honor that were there, Blessed Mother, St. Peter, St. John the Evangelist, St. Paul, and David played his harp. King David played his harp for their ceremony. Not bad. And on that occasion, Christ gave her an adorned brilliant diamond ring with studded four pearls. So he betrothed her, and he said that our marriage will be celebrated in heaven one day with great rejoicing. And he also gave her a gift of the stigmata, binding her to his wounds on the cross. And in humility, she asked that they could be taken away, and so he, he gave her invisible stigmata. And if you read about saints who had invisible stigmata, it's even more painful than normal stigmata because there's no release for it. She has is pictured with spikenard, the bridegroom spice, Christ on his cross, always in communion with the corpse of Christ, never sanitizing the suffering. And at one time, Jesus appeared to her and held out his hands, a beautiful, bright human heart. It was shining red and bright. And he opened up her side and put his own heart within her, saying, Dearest daughter, as I took away your heart from you the other day, now I'm giving you my heart so that you can go on living with it forever. And Catherine loved St. Paul, saying, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, because she had the heart of Christ beating within her. So beautiful. And that's why she died at age 33, because his heart stopped at 33 and his heart was in her, so her heart stopped at age 33. They say that there's a few saints that had that happen. It's a providential seal upon the victim's soul identification with the union they had with Jesus. If he didn't live longer than 33 years, neither did she. They were so united. Faustina also died at age 33. Faustina, on the third year of her novitiate, also got the invisible stigmata. And that blood coming out, the white baptism, the blood of reconciliation, Eucharist, she was also given the rare gift of mystical marriage. She's one of those saints. So we saw that with Mary of Bethany, who even before the cross was giving herself totally. She gave her alabaster jar of spikenard. While he was still present, she just gave her all, lavished him with excessive love, no regrets, no holding back. This is my bridegroom. And Judas Iscariot said, what a waste. What a waste. What a waste. And I love that von Balthasar quote, wastefulness is the original Christian attitude. The entire passion occurs under the sign of complete self-wasting of God's love for the entire world. What a waste. What a waste. What a waste. The complete self-wasting of God's love for the world. See what love the Father has wasted on us? It's supposed to be lavished. What a waste. So Jesus is going to lavish his own disciples tonight. He's going to teach them about a mystical marriage. He's asking them to enter into this. And how are we going to have this mystical marriage? First, we've got to clean the bride. Because the bride always has to be pure and clean and blemish-free to be in union with God, Right? So this is how he's going to clean the bride by washing her. And he's going to have a priesthood that will do that when he's gone. The bride has to be blemish-free because the groom is blemish-free. That's why they had, got kicked out of the garden, because they weren't blemish-free anymore. Now, the old Moses and the new Moses, both of these men, you'll see the similarities. They gave up face time with God. Jesus was sitting at the right hand of the Father when he came down to earth for 33 years. Moses had face-to-face -face with God whenever he wanted, gave it up to intercede on behalf of the sinful Israelites. So both become incredible intercessors for who? Sinners. Grumble, 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 grumbling people like us. Both did great signs and wonders. We just finished seven perfection of signs in the new Moses. Moses also did tremendous signs. Both washed the bride clean. 
both wash the bride clean. Remember in Exodus 19, when God said to Moses, I'm going to marry Israel. Half that 2.5 million people wash. Have them all wash their clothes and get ready for the wedding. 2.5 million people in the middle of this desert had to wash to be clean for their bridegroom, God. Now the new Moses is going to have to have a way to wash people also. And he's teaching him that tonight. It's going to be a very intimate act of washing the feet of his own apostles. He wanted to teach them how the bridegroom must be made clean. And he's going to teach them about two sacraments here, and they're hidden, and they're spiritual. The first one and the second one have to be done before they can come into union with him, the third sacrament. So both the ones he's teaching them about tonight are washing sacraments. Baptism washed us from original sin. When you were baptized, you were washed clean from original sin. Reconciliation washes us from other sins of living. You need both. Jesus said, you'll have no part in me if you don't do this foot washing thing, Peter. How many of you have sinned since your baptism day? Anybody? No one. How many have sinned since confirmation? Because you have the Holy Spirit in you. You could have lived by the Spirit. You live by the flesh even after that? Really? Okay, then we need our feet washed. We get dirty feet living. I can't always live by the Spirit. Ask my husband. Ask my kids. I can't do it. Even though he lives in me, even though I pray to him to stir up his Spirit every day in me, I can't do it. But thank God he gave us this sacrament because he can do it through a priesthood. This is how he set it up from the, before the beginning of time. They don't understand. But they're going to be enlightened by the power of the Holy Spirit in this exact same upper room the next time they're together in this same room, in this same location, in this upper room. In a few days, Jesus will bust through locked doors with wounds in his hands. The very next time they're together in that upper room, they're going to understand because he's going to say, he's going to breathe the Holy Spirit on them. And he's going to say, if you forgive any of the sins of anyone, they are forgiven them. But if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. He didn't say that to everyone. He just said it to his new priests, that they have the power from the risen God to forgive sin. Now, before the Passover, Jesus knew his hour had come to depart from this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own, he had chose these 12 men. He loved his own who were in the world, and he loved them to the very end. That includes this one. He loved Judas to the very end. The devil had already put it in the heart of Judas to betray him. Now Satan prowls the world, seeking the ruin of souls. He still does today. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around looking for someone to devour That's after the crucifixion and after the resurrection that Peter preaches this. He's madder than ever now. He was duped. He was tricked. Jesus won the cosmic battle. He lost. He's madder than ever. So he still prowls for souls. He wants every soul he can get before they die. Take him away from Jesus and the Trinity. Satan had been working on Judas, on his deepest wounding, on his deepest character flaws. He has to figure out a way to make an entry into this man. He knows your weakest areas. He knows your wounds. He knows where he can get you and needle you. That's how he works. He gets a toehold first through one of your weak areas. Then he gets a foothold. And then if you submit and start rationalizing the sin, then you invite him right in. Judas didn't stay, we're told last chapter, because he he didn't say Mary shouldn't break that jar of nard because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to whatever was in it. John's the one who gives us all these clues about Judas. He's a thief. He's a robber. He's a stealer. So why in the world does Jesus, leader of the band, entrust the money bag to Judas? Don't you think Matthew would have been a lot better choice? He's a tax collector. He knows finances. 
Don't you think Nathaniel, who had no duplicity, no guile, no double life, a pure man of God, don't you think he would have been a good choice for the money bag? Jesus reads hearts. He knows Judas's heart. He knows Judas's weakness. Yet he loved Judas till the end. There are seven capital sins. That's where Satan will work. Every person has one of those as their tree trunk, as their weakest area, and that's where he's going to work on you. For Judas, it was greed. Might be different for each person. Mine is all of them. <laughs> but Judas was a thief and a keeper of the money, and he used to help himself to what was put in. He's greed, 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 greed. And Jesus had taught them, and he had sat for three years under Jesus' teaching, and he heard Jesus say stuff like, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where thieves break in and steal. He heard Jesus say, where your treasure is, there's where your heart will also be. He heard Jesus say, no one can serve two masters, for either he's going to hate one and love the other, or he's going to be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. He heard all those teachings. So Judas demonstrates to us a very sobering example of what loving money and hating God can actually look like. He loved money. Paul tells Timothy the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Yes, Judas gave in to greed and pierced himself with many pains. Deadly, deadly, deadly sin. And if Judas would have just stayed in communion with Jesus, if he would have just stayed with the 12, if he just would have stayed, things could have ended up so much different. But he goes off in isolation and that's where Satan loves to picket people all alone in isolation. Always stay in communion with people when you have a weakness, when you have a temptation, when you have a struggle, have an accountability partner, something. Stay in communion with someone. Because we learned in John 10 that an isolated sheep is in grave danger. And if he just would have stayed with the good shepherd, he would have took care of him. They would have worked it out. He would have taught him about this reconciliation thing. Jesus was troubled in spirit, very troubled in spirit. He declared very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. He's telling them right out. And it troubles his spirit because he doesn't want to lose any of his own. He was troubled in spirit. That's why when we have a kid in trouble or a spouse in trouble or a loved one, someone we love is in trouble, it troubles our spirit. That's what, if you're a Jesus follower, that's good. We should be concerned about the salvation of others we love because we love them. When evil's near us, our spirit should be troubled. It was very near them that night. If someone's soul is in jeopardy, we should be greatly troubled in spirit. But the disciples looked at one another, and they were just uncertain of who he was talking about. Really? After three years, they had no idea? It was Judas? Really? Really? Because you know what? Sinners are masters at living a double life. And if you've been a sinner like me, you know that. You know how you can live in duplicity. Urged on by Peter, the disciple whom Jesus loved, John, he asked Jesus, Lord, who is it? Who is it? And Jesus answered, it's the one who I give this piece of bread when I dip it in the dish. He dipped it and gave it to Judas. And after Judas received the piece of bread, Satan entered into him. And Jesus said to him, do quickly what you're going to do. So after the piece of bread, Judas went out immediately, and he goes out into night. And he goes out. This is John's contrast with light and dark. Jesus is the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. And he goes into the pitch black darkness, alone and isolated. Stay in communion with the light. Don't go into the dark alone. So we're flashing back to Bethany, the house of Lazarus. He's had his feet anointed, that beautiful spikenard aroma. They've walked two miles to Bethany in this fine, dusty sand 
where animals relieve themselves and all the sand sticks to your feet. So every time you go into a house, your feet are washed by the lowest of the lowest of the lowest servant, the youngest kid. Washing feet, a common task performed by the lowest servant. And Jesus takes off his outer robe, ties a towel around himself. And this is important because it's a priesthood. This is a very intimate act. This is humbling. This is embarrassing. This is awkward. Do you ever feel that way in confession? I do. But he strips down to a linen ephod. And that's very important because that's priestly garb. Only priests wore linen ephods. We see David wearing one when he brings the ark back to Jerusalem. And he's dancing and leaping before the ark. And he strips down to a linen ephod. And Michal, Saul's daughter, saw him and she despised him in her heart. She was so disgusted. And she said in a very sarcastic way, how is it that the king of Israel honored himself today by uncovering himself before the eyes of his servant maids? A vulgar fellow, shamelessly. How could you shamelessly uncover yourself like this? You're supposed to be the king of Israel. And you strip down to an ephod of a priest. And you know what God did to Michal that day? (laughs) Sealed her womb shut forever. She never bore a child. In Exodus 28, we learned about vestments of priesthood. The very inner garment of the priest, the high priest, was a linen woven in one piece, white. They were to wear it so they would not die when they went into the Holy of Holies. It was a perpetual ordinance for every single high priest to come. It was very specific. So when they went into that Holy of Holies, they just had on the white linen ephod. And what are they going to do? Atone for the sins of Israel. It's only going to last for one year, but they're going to have to put blood on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. They're going to have to put incense first, make a smoke screen so they don't see it. Because if they see God, they're going to be struck dead. And that's what they wear to put the blood on the mercy seat. It's good for one year. That white linen tunic represents perfect sinlessness, perfect, blemish-free. They're as holy, as holy, as holy. They fasted. They've done all this stuff to prepare to go in there on that one day. Jesus on the cross is praying Psalm 22. And he says, they divide my clothes among themselves. We know he had on a linen ephod because the soldiers were gambling over it. They didn't want to tear it because it was woven in one piece. It's a linen ephod is what the high priest would wear. They cast lots. So Jesus is dressed as a priest. Okay, this is a brand new priesthood. He's not a Levitical priest. He's from Judah. He's not from Levi. This is a brand new priesthood tonight. And he's dressed as a high priest. And he pours water in a basin. He begins to wash the disciples' feet and wipe it with a towel that was tied around him. And he got to Simon Peter. And he said to him, Simon said, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Who can forgive sin? Okay, he's washing his feet. This is, and, and Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part in me. No part, no communion in me if you don't do this. What is this? This this is not just washing feet. We can't just take this in the literal sense. This isn't just about, oh, isn't that nice? He's the lowest of all. He washes the feet. (laughs) This is way deeper. Because he says, Peter, if if you don't do this, you have no part in me. It's about Peter, not about him. Not about him being the lowly, humble servant. It's about Peter getting his sins washed away. Who can forgive sin? Who can forgive sin? Only God can forgive sin. Only God can, that's what got Jesus killed. Because sometimes when he healed people, he said, get up and walk or your sins are forgiven. And they oh, you can't say that. You're not God. Only God can forgive sin. Okay, what separated humanity from God? Sin. When Adam and Eve sinned, they got separated. Sin separates man from God. The only thing could be that high priest once a year going in in his linen ephod, putting blood on the Ark of the Covenant to forgive sin. But guess what? That Ark's not even there. That Ark hasn't been there since the time of Jeremiah. No one talks about this because some people took Maccabees out of their Bibles. But that ark's not there. So they can't even go in there and put blood on it anymore. They can't even have any way to get their sins forgiven. 
There's no way to get their sins forgiven anymore. None. They are trapped. They are trapped. 2 Maccabees says that the place where that ark is hidden is going to remain unknown until God gathers his people together again and shows his mercy. Here's the new ark of the covenant. Look at the contents of her womb. It's the same as the contents of the ark. And so when Jesus starts his priestly ministry at age 30, he steps to the microphone at the synagogue and he reads from Isaiah. And he says, the spirit of God is upon me. He says, this prophecy is fulfilled in your hearing today. And what does he say? God has sent me to do what? Proclaim liberty to captives and release the prisoners. Well, what are they prisoners of? Sin. They're prisoners of sin. There's no way to get sin out. The ark's missing. There's no, there's no way. So this hour is a huge jailbreak. He's going to set all the prisoners free. Those trapped in the cursed ground and all of us for all times to come. This is the cosmic showdown with Satan. Peter says, you're never going to wash my feet. (sighs) (laughs) Peter, if I don't do this for you, you won't be set free. I have to do this. You'll never have a part of me. We won't have communion. You've got to be blemish free. And you're going to have to do this when I go back to the right hand of the Father. You're going to have to do this to all the people that come after. I'm making a priesthood. I'm giving you the power to forgive sin. I want to wash you clean. So you can be my bride. Unless I wash you, you have no share with me, no part with me, no communion with me, ever. So the bride has to be blemish-free. This is why Paul says Christ loved the church. He gave himself up for her in order to make her holy by cleansing her with washing of water by the word as to present the church to himself in splendor without a spot or wrinkle or anything. So she could be holy and without blemish, without sin, clean, They weren't blemish-free anymore. They got separated from God. God takes that bride, Israel. He marries her. She unconditionally, it's mutual consent. She says, all that the Lord has said, we will do. Several times. Moses has them wash their clothes, wash their clothes, wash their clothes. On the third day, God comes. They get married. It's beautiful. He unveils himself on the top of the mountain. The people are trembling. They're washed clean. They're blemish-free. Moses brings them up to meet their husband. He gives the most incredible wedding gift, this double tablet of commandments. And he gave them that law so they could stay holy and blemish-free, be his bride forever, be in right relationship, be in right marriage, right communion with him, that he would be their husband. That law was a great gift for one main reason. Because they couldn't keep it. They found out really soon. How many pages did it take? Not many. And they're building a golden calf, a new husband, a new God. That was a gift. He gave them the law so they could see that they couldn't keep it without him. It's a really lopsided marriage. He's all holy and they're sinful. He gives them the law to help them stay holy and pure. They can't do it. The waters of the flood couldn't do it. The waters of the flood didn't wash humanity blemish-free. It was a new creation with Noah. Right off the bat, they're sinning again. He parted the waters of the Red Sea, walked through here, let me wash you, let me wash you, let me wash you. Ah, it didn't work. They couldn't stay blemish-free. He, he marries them on Sinai. Let me be in communion with you. Let me give you these laws as a guideline. A few pages later. It didn't work. It's initial, it's temporary. He wants a permanent, eternal marriage for all humanity. All Abraham's children. We all have the same father. So he has to send his son. He reveals his son to us. He gives his son to us to die. So he's released from the old contract and marries us in this new contract, this new covenant in his blood. This is the father's final word. This is the best atonement, the perfect atonement. We never need another atonement. And he says, unless I wash you, you have no share with me. And we don't go to get washed. We don't go to confession. It's the best kept secret in town. You don't need to go to psychiatrists. You, don't need, you just need to go to confession. 
Get clean with God. Marry him again. Come into communion with him again. Eat him again. You are what you eat. Become him again. Jesus answered, you don't know what I'm doing now, but you're going to understand later, Peter. That's good enough for Peter. Unless I wash you, you have no sure of me. Then wash me, Lord. Wash me, wash me, wash my hands, wash my hands, wash my feet. I trust you. Wash my whole body. And Jesus says, the one who is bathed doesn't need to wash. Okay, Peter, you've been baptized. You've been cleansed from original sin. You've been bathed. Just your feet need washing. Just the things you do in life from here on out. So the first sacrament is baptism. The original cleansing, the original washing. The second sacrament is reconciliation, because we can't do it. We can't stay perfect from our baptism on. The third sacrament is communion. Once we're clean, we can enter into him. If you have mortal sin on your soul, you can't go to communion, because you can't be communion with the Trinity when you have mortal sin on your soul. So he has, a pro- he has a solution for that. Let me wash your feet. Come on in here. Let me do this intimacy and heal you with my blood. Once blemish-free, you can come back into full communion with me. That's the way back to the Trinity. Jesus is going to be the eternal high priest of a new priesthood that has authority from God to make us all blemish-free. And he washed their feet, and he said, do you know what I've done? You call me teacher and Lord, right? That's what I am. But I've washed your feet, and you ought to wash one another's feet. He's saying this to a priesthood. You ought to hear confessions. And if you do, you'll be blessed. you know what priests say their number one favorite thing to do is? Hear confessions and set people free. It's the most rewarding part of their job. To give people freedom, liberty in Christ. How wonderful would that be if you were a priest? It's how God set it up. Very truly, I tell you, servants are not greater than masters. Masters aren't greater than the one who sent them. If you know these things, you're blessed if you do them, my priests. Hear confessions. Laity, go to confession. Pope Francis is very blessed indeed. He's washed many, 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 many feet in his pontificate. He changed the Roman Missal, saying that women can have their feet washed now at the Holy Thursday ceremony of the institution of the priesthood, not because he wants women priests. He does not believe there's a single foot that can't be washed clean by the blood of Jesus in confession. And he washes refugee feet, and he washes migrant worker feet, and he washes Muslim feet, because there are no feet that cannot be loved by God. And there are no feet too dirty for God to clean. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you and praise you that we have a solution to our dirty feet. And that solution is you and the sacrament of reconciliation through a priesthood. Where you are the eternal high priest, you did the final atonement for all humankind to get us back into communion with the Trinity. We praise you and thank you for that. We ask a blessing on our priests that they would be holy men of God pure, full of love and grace and your Holy Spirit, and that Mary, you would be their mother as you were mother to Jesus, that you would stand with them in their crosses, that you would stand with us in our crosses. For everyone tonight who's going through a cross, I pray they have the strength in Christ to stay, to stay in the cross and to be healed by the power of the resurrection through the blood of Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. That was part two of the Gospel of John, chapter 13, on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible studies, visit SeekingTruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.